All right, if you have a Bible, turn to the Gospel of Mark. We are nearing the end of our Mark series. We're in chapter 15. Our text today is Mark 15, 1 through 15. And if you're looking in the Red Pew Bibles, that's page 852. So, Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, And what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The word of the Lord. morning. Let's pray. God, we enter into a uh, pretty somber portion of the scripture, and we ask, God, that as we feel the weightiness of all of it, that we would still be able to see the hope that you have provided, that you chose this divine plan to come to us rather than turning it around and having us do a bunch of things to earn our way toward you. So we ask that you would help us to see that great grace that you've offered to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We are uh, looking at something that we're going to take a look at in a couple of months again. Um, as uh, Holy Week will, will be soon approaching. Um, and it was done purposefully uh, as we wanted to kind of start out this new year uh, looking at the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus to kind of kickstart our year uh, here in 2018. So last week as we began, we, we looked at brokenness. We looked at Peter's brokenness and how brokenness is necessary for usefulness. But I do want to make a clarifying statement on that because as I was thinking throughout the week, there are some things that I I didn't get a chance to say, such as uh, brokenness is not something that we go out looking for. Uh, That would be kind of uh, sadistic, right? That would be kind of not good. Um, I don't think it's something that any of us really want to go out and say, like, man, I I just really want to suffer today. Um, I'm, I'm just feeling too good. You know, like, it's just not that... Now, some of that 
Brokenness is self-inflicted, but some of that brokenness we experience is, is completely out of our control. And all of the brokenness, whether it is coming from our choices or whether it's coming from something that is completely outside of our control, it points to an evidence that we do indeed live in a broken world. And I, I don't think that there's any debate or argument about that. And uh, let, me, let me try to make uh, a case in point on that. When, when just looking at the, the many jobs out there that we're doing for our work, for our careers, um, or even just thinking about the job that you are doing right now, it's to fix broken things. And you wouldn't have a job uh, if other people didn't have problems, right? Um, I sure wouldn't. And so just uh, this last week and looking into, into the, the forward week, I, I'm just looking at um, physicians, dentists, auto mechanic, therapists, chefs, professors, realtors, consultants, and those are just the people that are in my calendar this past week and next week. So I, I have a, a, a lot of problems. Uh, I'm, I'm very broken. But like if you're an IT guy, you wouldn't have a job if things don't break, right? Like that, you want to have a job. Uh, investment guy. Investment guy, you, you, you look for companies that fix things because that's how they're profitable and that's how you make money. So, you, you know, you, there's all these things that need to be solved. We're, we're, we're in a world that is just full of brokenness and, and that's what people do. And so knowing this is why we, we have Jesus enter into the world, that we do indeed live in a broken world, and Jesus came to give us hope that it's going to be fixed. And that's the, the gospel. This is the good news about Jesus Christ entering into our time and into our space, into our broken world, into our brokenness to make things right with God, God who is fully intact, fully independent, fully <clears throat> whole, triumphant, while it's quite evident that our world and the people in it are dysfunctional and at war, confused, and practice injustice. And we can try to convince ourselves that we're fine the way that we are, that we're perfect the way that we are, but the evidence all around us and throughout world history is proving that that belief is false. That is a false belief. That is a lie. That is not the truth. It is dishonest to say that. Jesus experienced our broken world. All the illnesses, the injustice towards the marginalized, the betrayal of Judas, the denial of Peter, the abandonment from friends and, and family, the false conviction, the arrest, the treachery, the collusion of religious and political leaders. He experiences all these things. And so it brings us here to chapter 15. Uh, let me start in verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things, and Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? We see that the religious leaders and the political leaders here are conspiring against Jesus, and we're probably all familiar with stories of religious and political conspiracy and conspiring. Nothing new about 
that today as it's happened throughout human history. It's part of our brokenness. And here we see it very clearly. Jesus is not guilty of any of these charges, let alone being sentenced to death for something. But these guys have already made up their minds. You look back to Mark 14, verse 64. It says, they all condemned him as deserving death. And so it's already in their head that that's what they they want him to suffer. They want him to die. But the Jews can't carry out this sentence of capital punishment. This is something only the Romans can do. The, the Romans have this authority for execution. So all they can do is try to manipulate and influence Pilate for this capital punishment sentence by placing in Pilate's head that Jesus is committing treason against Rome. And the way that he's doing this is he's, he's king. He's king of the Jews. And there's no other king except for Caesar, right? And so Pilate knows Jesus is innocent, that he does not deserve this death sentence, and, and we'll see that he gives into these demands anyway, which makes it that much more wrong. And Pilate asks Jesus if he is the king of the Jews, and Jesus essentially answers yes. Now, our ESV translation that is in our pews, it says, you have said so. Uh, You look at different translations, such as the New King James Version, and it's translated, it is as you say. Either way, it's essentially yes. Now, the Gospel of John gives us a, a little bit more insight to how Jesus responded, because Jesus saying he is the king of the Jews was not treason towards Rome, since Rome is of this world. And so let's take a look at John chapter 18, starting in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So when we read the ESV translation of you have said so, some people may read that and think Jesus is attempting to skirt around Pilate's question, but but he isn't. When we read other translations, other gospels, it's clear that he's not dodging Pilate's question. And actually, Jesus is very direct when it comes to who he is. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so when we're looking at this kind of dialogue happening here between Pilate and the chief priest and Jesus, who's really on trial here? Is Jesus really the person on trial or is it Pilate? See, we we can't hide from God, we are all going to need to answer to God about who Jesus is and who we are. There's, there's no dodging the question. There's no skirting around the question of who Jesus is. Everyone will face God, and we will be the ones on trial. Verse 5, but Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now, why, 
Why is Pilate amazed? Well, people usually cower and usually beg for their life when they're going to lose it. And that, that's not Jesus. Jesus knows fully well that he is there to fulfill a mission. And besides this, Pilate knew Jesus was not recorded, so how much more would, would you be pleading for your life if you were innocent? And this isn't happening. And Matthew recorded for us in his gospel in chapter 27, verse 18, for he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Mark also lets us know this. And even Pilate's wife knew that he was innocent. And you look at Matthew's account in chapter 27, verse 19. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. And in this perceived picture of weakness is God's plan of deliverance being played out in Jesus. And just as the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And it's not that Jesus is helpless. This was his and his father's plan to repair brokenness, to restore communion between God and us. Jesus said in John chapter 10, starting in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus is not helpless. Jesus was not powerless. Jesus was on a mission, and this was the plan. You look at what Peter said in Acts chapter, 20, in Acts chapter 2, starting in 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 4.25 that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. There needs to be an admission that we are broken and that we can't fix ourselves. We need Jesus who delivered us from trespasses, who, who, raised, who was raised for our justification. And Pilate thought that he was the one calling the shots, that he was the one placing Jesus on trial. And the chief priests influenced and manipulated him into, into this sentence. And we're going to be influenced by something. Will that influence be Jesus or something or someone else? What, what are you going to do with Jesus who was bound so that we can be set free? Jesus who died and resurrected from death so 
that we may have life and not be bound by death. Jesus who was broken so that we can be restored. And all we need to do is to confess that we are indeed broken and we, we need him to fix us. Verse 6, now at the feast he, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And so here's an opportunity for Pilate to get out of this mess. Because there's no way that these guys are going to choose some, uh, an innocent guy to go to death versus a guilty guy. And so here's a chance for Pilate to pardon Jesus. John chapter 19, verse 10. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And so we see the authority that Rome has given Pilate. And so he knows he's an innocent man, so what is he going to do now? What is he going to do with all this information? And if he lets Jesus go, then it's politically going to cause him a lot of grief with that establishment of Jews there. And yet in his head, he's contemplating, how can I sentence an innocent man to death? And so what we see here is what each one of us is confronted with in that each one of us needs to make a decision about Jesus, and there isn't a, a neutral zone that we can just plant ourselves in. Because here Pilate is trying to be neutral. Matthew 27, 24, So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See, it, see to it yourselves. But his hands weren't clean. He, he was not exonerated from this indecision. Pilate will still need to answer for this decision of neutrality because our indecisions are still decisions. And rather than releasing an innocent person, there was a murderer that they'd rather see released. Verse 7, And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Barabbas was a, a well-known insurrectionist, so this was not an easy decision for Pilate to make because, yes, if I release Jesus, I'm going to have a lot of these Jewish folks in Jerusalem mad at me, but if I release Barabbas, this insurrectionist, against Rome, there are a lot of Romans who are not going to be happy with me, including my own soldiers. Now, what am I going to do? He's faced with this murderer, this insurrectionist, and in, in John, in John 18, verse 40, he writes that he was also a robber. Now, you would think, like, if someone commits treason and he's a murderer, then he's definitely, like, on a scale of 10 when a robber is maybe, like, 5. Like, why bother mentioning robber? It just seems like a lesser crime. But he does this because this crime is evidently a crime that deserves death, crucifixion. Look at Matthew 15, verse 27. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. So this is a death sentence, this, this robbery sentence. And Barabbas was guilty on multiple charges. He was already sentenced to death. But Jesus was substituted for a penalty that was actually Barabbas's to pay, that the innocent saved the guilty, and this is what Jesus has done for each one of us. That penalty that is ours, he took upon himself. He paid it on our behalf. 
Verse 8, and the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. Now, there are some people who believe that this crowd is the same crowd that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem when Jesus rode in on a donkey. Uh, I, I don't think they are the same people. I don't think the crowd just shifts like that that quickly. Maybe it did and maybe it didn't, but I, I just don't think that it was the same crowd. The, the people who welcomed Jesus more, were most likely pilgrims who were coming from all over the place. And a lot of them coming from the, the Galilee region who knew Jesus, who knew of what Jesus did um, out in the Galilee region and, and what he had been doing. And it's, and it's kind of like your home team welcoming your hometown hero, right? So they're there and they're outside and Jesus is coming from the outside, coming into Jerusalem. And so like, yay, that's Jesus. Yay, we know this guy. He does amazing things. Take a, uh, a look here. The crowd inside Jerusalem is a different crowd. So the crowd outside loves Jesus. You know, he's fed thousands of people. We saw it. He, he's healed so many people. He's raised people from the dead. He's done all these amazing things. But the people inside Jerusalem, different crowd. Take a look at Mark chapter 3, verse 22. <clears throat> because from very on in Jesus' ministry, these guys inside Jerusalem don't like Jesus. Where in Mark 15, Mark 3 happened like two years ago. So... Um, it reads this, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. And then you skip over to Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 1 here. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Skip down to 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not... Walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. So these guys from Jerusalem, these religious leaders, these guys who look at themselves as the religious elite, they rejected Jesus really early on. Even though there were many people who loved Jesus as evidenced by this reception he got when he entered into Jerusalem, which is something that may have caused further confusion for Pilate because he knew of this reception that he received entering into Jerusalem, and now he's hearing this crowd inside his court saying, like, kill him. And all of these characters in this story, except for Jesus, who is the one who is silent, he's the only one who's compassionate. He's the only one who's caring. And the, the one most opposed to is the most loving person here. And the most religious people in this entire city and the most political people in this entire city are the ones who are the most uncaring, unkind, and the most cruel of everyone there. And we're told in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Granted, it's a different crowd, but when he saw this group of people, because they were harassed and helpless and like sheep without a shepherd. And even when Jesus was nailed to the cross and they all watched him suffer and die there, Jesus said in Luke 23, 34, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so we see that from beginning to end, Jesus is full of mercy. He's full of grace. 
all those things that weren't extended to him. Back to Mark 15 in, in verse 9. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for, the, for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And it's just really, really fascinating that the most religious people are the least gracious people. That the most political people are the least merciful, merciful people. And I find that true today. That we are counting on religious leaders and political leaders to make compassionate, kind, helpful, caring decisions. That's why in our democracy we, we vote them in, hopefully. That's why we go to church. We're, we're hoping that religious leaders do this sort of thing. But too many times, those decisions aren't made. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the men you call the king of the Jews? And the question in verse 12 is one all of us need to answer. What shall I do with the men you call the king of the Jews? What are we going to do with Jesus? It's not a decision that we can, we can be neutral about. Because this belief is pretty crazy. And so it's either a truth or it's a lie. There's no neutral thought about this, right? It's either truth or it's a lie. Because there are some really, really serious implications of this gospel if it is truth. So we need to figure that out. Now John chapter 3 verse 16, one of the most known Bible verses in the scriptures. But I want to continue that on to verse 18 because we often leave out verses 17 and 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. It is either a truth or it is a lie. And all of us are like Barabbas. We're all condemned. We're all guilty of insurrection. No, not against Rome, but against a different kingdom. Against the kingdom of God. And Jesus takes the place of those who believe in him. All of us insurrectionists. But so often people listen to these other voices, whether it's religious voices or political voices or this crowd. And we, li we listen to all these voices when all of the people behind those voices are broken. But yet we give them so much clout and so much influence that we listen to them what will we do with Jesus? And they cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Why do they have such hostility to a person who's not a murderer? 
I guess in a way he is an insurrectionist against their religious establishment, who is not a robber. But what has he done to deserve crucifixion? I mean, is this really just? Who's really guilty here? Because the guilty are to be condemned and the innocent are to be set free. And it is the very opposite that is happening here. Barabbas was the one set free and Jesus is the one sentenced to death. So so what's happening here? Take a look at what Peter wrote. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Paul wrote this in Romans, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 6. For while we were still weak, broken, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, broken, Christ died for us. He did what we could never do for ourselves. And and God isn't instructing us to earn our way to him. He is showing us that, you know, I've done it all. And what you need to do is have faith that I, Jesus, died for you and, and made this possible for you. Verse 15, so Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. How much power have we given the crowd? Whether that is like media reports or your colleagues or your friends, your family. Pilate gave in to satisfying this crowd. And maybe for you it's not like just these outside voices, but maybe something even a little bit closer like family, friends, or some other community or, or your political kind of leanings, or your religious leanings, that you're just continually listening to this crowd that has way too much power over you because they're swinging you into the decisions and the choices that you're making about Jesus that are actually against Jesus. When he's innocent, I mean, really, what has he done? He just wants to love you and save you and bring you into communion with God, and yet you're hearing all these really hateful voices against him. Now, Rome is, was one of the most powerful empires to ever exist on the face of the earth. Where are they now? And yet Christianity lives on. Christianity, which was from this Jewish carpenter from a no-place town where people questioned who his father was, and he never had a military, he never held office, and yet here we are today still worshiping him, and where is the Roman Empire? And the same thing can be said of any superpower after the Roman Empire, including the United States. When this place is fallen from its top one, two, three power, whatever they say it is, the church will live on. Jesus and Christianity will live on. Jesus will be lifted up for everlasting while all these other kingdoms will rise and they will fall and every nation will bow to Jesus. Many, many have tried to destroy Christianity throughout these 2,000 years. And those who claim to be Christians 
seem to be the most successful at tearing it down. But here we are, still here. Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We can speculate what happened to Barabbas, but we really don't know what happened. We do know what happened to the two criminals that were crucified next to Jesus. Luke 23, starting in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. That criminal believed, and he was with Jesus. And Jesus, the innocent, died for the guilty, like Barabbas. He died for Barabbas. He took Barabbas' place, literally. Just as he takes your place and my place, literally. But we don't know if Barabbas believed in Jesus. We know that he was delivered. He, he, and we know that Jesus died for both of those criminals crucified with him. But only one believes, and the other one railed at Jesus, and only one is in paradise. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Do you know how much Jesus loves you? That he indeed laid his life down for you. As an individual, by name, just as he pointed out Peter by name in last week's study, do you realize he took your place literally? Or maybe you're like Barabbas and that you were set free from this sentence and you just ran off. But just, you're just going off, living your life and not thinking twice about what happened, that this guy took my place? but you're just back to whatever you're doing. Or maybe you're like one of those guys on the cross, but which one? Because they're both dying, but one sees Jesus for who he really is, and the other one just keeps railing on Jesus. I, I want to encourage you to not wait any longer. That if you don't know Jesus as Savior, that, that this morning you have an opportunity to believe. And that if you've grown distant from God, that this morning you can draw closer to him again. And if you believe that your neutru- neutrality is okay, it's not. You, you can't be neutral. You, your indecision is indeed a decision. And so... No more religious games either, like the chief priests. No more outside influences like the voices from the crowd. No more experiencing the grace and mercy of God, but just running off like Barabbas, like nothing happened. No more ridiculing Jesus like the guy on the cross next to Jesus, but believe and be like the other guy. That you will be with Jesus in paradise.
you see all these different scenarios with all these different people around Jesus and how all of them responded and reacted differently towards him. And then you see their outcomes. So I just ask you to think critically about those things. That you can't be neutral. That Jesus demands a decision on whether this is a truth or a lie. And if this is a truth, there are some serious implications. And if this is a lie, stop wasting your time coming here. If it's a lie, why are you believing a lie? Or why are you even feeding into the lie of wasting a few hours to be here? And why are you hanging out with a bunch of liars? <laughs> Let's pray. Jesus, we, we see the, the serious tone to all of this and, and that, God, you love us so much that from <clears throat> even before creation, you have this plan knowing that this brokenness exists and yet instead of just kind of wiping it clean and pressing the reset button, that you love us so much that there's just no way that you want to work things out. And so I pray, God, that folks here would be shaken a little bit, that things would be disturbed a little bit so that we would draw closer to you, that our relationship with you would deepen, that we wouldn't remain in kind of like this neutral zone but that if indeed this gospel is true, that there is a calling for something that is more rich than just merely existing. And God, if this is, comes out to be a lie, there, there are some things that are very challenging in terms of proving it to be so, but I pray, God, that that burden of proof that you would work with those people and show them. Lead them to yourself in Jesus' name. Amen.